This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. 4-1 win for the lads at Carlisle on Saturday. Uh, it seemed like a fairly strong team that we named. Uh, do you think that was probably close to our strongest 11? James first, do you? Me first? Okay. Um, I think it was a reasonably strong side. I think it's probably hard to say what our strongest 11 is because... I don't think anyone's really sure what system Sean Dyke ultimately wants to play, which kind of makes it hard to judge what he's putting out there. But it looked like a decent yeah, side. From, from the, I'll go through the team for any listeners who've missed it. There was no Kieran Trippier, so there was O'Neill played right back, but it was Heaton in goal. Duff and Shackle played at centre back, and Lafferty played instead of Ben Mee. Um, David Jones, who is officially still on trial, was in midfield with Dean Marnie, and there was Junior Stanislas and Ross Wallace out wide. Danny Ings played with Charlie Austin up front. I think the, the beauty of a player like Ings, who scored twice at Carlisle, is that he's so flexible, he can play different positions. Yeah, was he played up front? I'm not really sure. Well, I, I think he was playing a sort of floating role behind Austin. He scored twice, so he obviously got into goal-scoring positions. Yeah, I saw his comments um, a couple of weeks ago that said he he preferred to play up front this season. So I'm interested interested to see if Dyche listens to that and actually plays him in his proper role. Maybe that's the case of whether Charlie goes and he and he's played up front on his own. Yeah, I think obviously that will have a big impact. But I think um, Ings is obviously going to play a big role this season. Whatever happens with Austin, it's just a case of where he plays might be a little bit different but he played that, that sort of free role behind whichever striker it was quite a lot last season although he never really had a solid run inside where do you think his best position is James? Um, I think it's hard to say because we've not seen a, a huge amount of him in each position but he, I think he does work well behind another striker because he's a, a bit more of a J. Rodriguez style player where he's good with the ball at his feet and he, he runs well so it does help him if he's got that sort of space to move into rather than picking up on the edge of the box and he's only really got the option of turning and maybe beating one man whereas he can skip through the defence from uh, a little bit deeper Yeah, I think his awareness is really good he's got a good awareness of what's going on and he finds space really well I think one of the things he does need to work on is his decision making I think he gets into positions and he's not really sure what to do you've got to remember he's a young lad he's not played a lot of football yet so that's the sort of thing that will come in time 
Yeah, I mean... We, it took kind of a, a whole season before we saw the proper, well, half a season before we saw the proper um, Charlie Austin before he started scoring bags of goals. So hopefully, with a, a good run in the side, he'll he'll um, be, begin to start scoring lots. I mean, that's the case with most strikers. A big player for us this season. Another of the players to really stand out was Dean Marnie on Saturday. Actually, I think he laid on a couple of the goals. He seems to be playing a little bit further forward than normal. Do you prefer Marnie in that sort of creative role where he can get forward, or do you like him as a, a sort of sitter in front of the back four, or as like a box-to-box sort of player? I really like Marnie. I think he's got a great all-round game. Um, he's good on the ball. He's a decent passer. He's not the you know the world beater, but he's uh, he's good defensively as well. The only part of his game that really lets him down, I think, is shooting. So as long as he can keep to the passing rather than having an effort, I think he's a, an influential player. Yeah, I always cringe whenever I see Marnie winding up the shot. I'm like, what's the point? Why, why does he shoot? I don't understand. Was it him that you scored at Portsmouth a few years ago? Yeah, he's got no yeah. ticket at Portsmouth. Yeah, because um, David Whitney bet, didn't he? He bet that he wouldn't yeah, score. He did. he did. One of our uh, co-founders, David Whitney, said that he'd buy everyone a pint. <laughs> did that ever come to fruition? Well, I don't think he ever followed that. I, I did cash in on a free pint, so... Um, <laughs> I never got it. I'm going to have to get on to him about that. He, he, he did pay out if, if you saw him, so... Man of his word. <laughs> good, good to know. So, obviously, there's a lot of new faces. Um, there's a few in the starting lineup at, at Carlisle at the weekend. Tom Heaton, obviously, in goal. Lee Grant's replacement. Saved the penalty, didn't uh, he? The new midfielders, Scott Arfield and David Jones. Um, we believe the situation with Jones is that there's a contractual thing at Wigan that means he can't officially sign for us, but that will well go through. Um, what do you make of Jones and Arfield as, as first-team signings? Um, I've not really seen much of him in the past, to be honest, so I'm probably going to have to reserve judgment until uh, I get to see a few games. But it, yeah, me, it's me good too. to see that we are signing in the right positions. Yeah, the thing that Dash has done this summer is, is he's really tried to overhaul the midfield. I mean, it was a, it's a place of weakness everyone's been criticising since the Coyle days. Um, but he's really... But McCann's gone... <laughs> And Bartley's gone out on loan now, is he? Or oh no, he's injured. Um, but it's good to see he's replacing those, and hopefully we'll have a, a stronger midfield to protect our defence. Yeah, I think uh, McCann leaving was inevitable. Really, it was probably a good time for everyone to change that. And I think Jones rather than Arfield would be the straight replacement for McCann. Um, it's been in the press that Stock and Bartley are free to find new clubs do you think they're players that have a place in the squad or should we be moving them on I know you're a big fan of James <laughs> um, I, I do like Brian Stock's game I think he's uh, he's a bit like the defensive aspect of Jack Cook obviously he's not got the attacking strengths there but he is reasonably good on the ball um, he's calm he slows things down a bit and I think that's sometimes what you need a bit like Graham Alexander was in promotion year um, but for me Marvin Bartley can you know, probably leave any day of the week. He's a he's a runner and he's a he's a good tackler. He gives a hundred percent every week, no doubt. But um, he's not the most technically gifted player. I think it's uh, fair to say. 
Do you think Bartley was brought in as a bit of a, a gamble from Hal? Because he brought him from Bournemouth, obviously. So I'm just wondering if he, he um, was brought in just to see what would happen to him rather than as a, an actual potential. I think, I think Hal clearly saw something there. He's a, you know, he's a cheapy player. Maybe he's got the, the kind of mentality that you, you want from at least one guy in your team. But um, his bookings and red cards, I think, have let <laughs> down when ultimately there's not a huge amount of end product there for all the running he does. It's very wholeheartedly about him. He puts 100% into everything, isn't it? I mean, it's cliche to say it, but he, he does give everything and he runs his stocks off. But you can't really have Marnie and Bolt in the same team because they are both of the same mould, really. I'm not sure they're identical, but I think Marnie's probably essentially just the better version of Marvin Bowley. Yeah, I've always thought uh, Marvin Bartley could be interesting as a centre-back um, because he has that sort of lack of on-the-ball ability. He, but he does have that pace and tackling which could potentially make him a decent centre-half. Um, he'd probably have to cut out some of the rash challenges, though, you're having him around the box. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an interesting idea. I think one of the things that would maybe hold Marnie back from being able to play at the back is just the lack of awareness. For me, he seems to be, he reacts to play rather than seeing what's going to happen. He doesn't read it particularly well. We were saying about Graham Alexander, one of the best things about his game was that it, it was like the football pitch was a chess game to Graham Alexander. He could see what everyone was doing and he could predict what people were going to do. So we had Alexander and Caldwell in that same team and both of them obviously weren't running up and down the pitch all day but they could read where the ball was going to go and it was like it was attracted to them. I don't think Marnie's got that same sort of ability to do that yeah I think that is kind of the strong point you get from Brian Stock as well whenever you play anyone in that sort of role who plays it well they, they seem to have a, an extra sense that means they know what sort of direction the ball's going in before it happens and they know which angles to close down and I mean that helps the defence out quite a lot in uh, you know, blocking out any opportunities. So, would you think Marnie and Jones will be the, the starting central midfield partnership, assuming that Jones deal does go through, Adam? Yeah, uh, I, I think the way Dice has, um, has spoken about um, Jones is that he he would be the priority in um, midfield. Um, I think Arfield is back up because. Um, I don't know because he's not he hasn't got the pedigree that um, Jones seems to have of having played for for some better teams I mean Arfield was released by um, Huddersfield whereas Jones had just been playing for Blackburn who were, who had a good run towards the end of the season funny one he seemed to have quite a big reputation when he was in Scotland I think we were linked with him before he left Falkirk but he, he's seems to have treaded water at Odersfield the last couple of years. I think there was a stat saying that he's played less games every year in the three years he was there. So maybe Dash just thinks someone to have around the squad. I think he, he sees him as an attacking player, someone who maybe can come on and influence games. Maybe when we're playing at home and struggling to break teams down, maybe he'll play that role for us. I, I think um, he's someone that I've heard a lot of mixed reports about. A lot of people say he's a good player. A lot of people say he's, you know, he's a poor player. Um, 
but I think what it does bring is extra numbers to the midfield which when you looked at the side last season you did sometimes think do we have enough midfielders there if you, you get a couple of suspensions or injuries you just want to change it up because we are a side that can pick up quite a lot of bookings in the middle of the park and see if you get a couple of guys who are coming up to one game bans it's a bit worrying if you don't really have any sort of first team calibre backup there yeah do you think we're going to need anyone else in midfield if Jones does sign or will that be depending on uh, players like Stock and Barley moving on do you think we're okay in midfield now Adam or do we, would you like to see another another player come in well uh, again Dash has been talking to the local press this week about um, the the transfer dealings not being done by any stretch of the imagination. So I think we could see some more because he, he, the I think it was with the Lancashire Telegraph. He um, he said that last season we we had a particularly small um, squad. So I wonder if he was highlighting that as a, a type of a kind of. Uh, Emphasis point for him to get some more strength and depth, depth throughout the whole, the whole field. Yeah, I think um, anything more that we do is obviously going to be dependent on what happens with Charlie Austin. And I think the club has indicated their position is they're not willing to sell on the cheap. There's obviously been clubs that think they can get him for less than what we're offering just because of the the problem with medical. Um, Clubs like Forest and Reading and QPR have been linked with offers of sort of two, two and a half million. Is that a fair price, or do you think we should be looking for more? I mean, he's only got a year left on his contract, so we're in a slightly difficult position with Austin. But what do you think the club should be looking to do, James? Well, I think um, with a player of Austin's quality, he's he's continued to show that he can score goals. He might not be. Um, you know the most complete forward there is. He's you know he's not going to score amazing run from halfway line, um, but what he does do is score. You get the ball into the right area for him, and I think with um, I think we've reportedly paid a one and a half million. Uh, I mean you're probably not make, looking at making a huge profit off that now, but you'd be looking at at least double. So you know I think three and a half is really the minimum you'd sort of want to, to see him go for um, but a lot of it does depend on how the manager feels we can do this next season because um, in some ways maybe it's worth gambling on losing him for nothing next season if you think you're going to get a good year because obviously he might fancy a new contract then or we may get promoted in which case he might fancy staying he might not but you would have got a good profit out of the situation What do you make of the, the Austin situation, Adam? Obviously, Austin himself is in a strong position at the moment, although we don't know the extent of the knee problem. We do know that the club wants to keep him and they're willing to offer a new contract, so presumably that would include the clause saying that he could go to a Premier League club if a bid over a certain amount went, so that could be a good option for him, but... Do you think? Do you think he'd be willing to stay for another year? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I don't think he will be. I don't think he'll he'll stay for another year. I think he'll. Uh, he might go in January. That's another option. Um, but it, that that's again a risk for him as well as the club, um, because it re- it's reliant on him scoring lots of goals and, and making himself a target um, for clubs to come in for him. 
Um, it's, a, it's a really tricky situation. Um, I mean, I'd like to see him stay on, but I don't, I don't think it's reality, uh, a possibility at the moment. It seems to have gone a little bit quiet with Austin at the moment, so I'm sure in the future we'll come back to this situation in future podcasts. Um, the only signing that we haven't really mentioned yet is obviously the goalkeepers, which has been a little bit of a bone of contention. <laughs> all four of the first signings were all goalkeepers. Um, I think it's accepted that Tom Heaton's come in as number one to replace Willie Grant. What do you make of the, the four keepers that have come in, James? Uh, well, again, I've not really heard much about Morton and Tom Ian. Um, I'll start by saying, obviously, I was really disappointed to see, see Lee Grant go in the summer. I thought he's he had a rough start at Burnley. I think that's partly because it's tough to come in when you've got a player there like Brian Jensen, who's a you know, big fan favourite, a cult hero. Uh, and it made his role a little bit tougher. But this last season, he really showed what sort of difference having a quality keeper makes. Because there were a few games there where, in the end, we've won. But early on, there was a you know a worry in the game that we could have been three or four down if it hadn't been some good goalkeeping. Um, but what I've heard about Tom Heaton is uh, he, he looks a really good player. Um, he wanted to come to Burnley, which I think is. A, a really positive thing. His, his family's from the area, isn't he? Yeah, I, I had heard um, in previous seasons that he was interested. Um, I don't know whether the club ever looked at him or you know whether Eddie Howe was interested, but I'd, I'd heard that he was interested, um, which I think is only a, a positive sign. If he wants to play for the, the side that much, um, you'd expect him to give his all every week and he's got a decent pedigree I know he's not played a huge amount of appearances um, but as a free transfer I don't think you really see much risk in that Yeah I think one of the things that people have said about Eaton is looking at his record he's not really stayed at a club and made a number one shirt he's all but obviously if he if he's, his family's from Lancashire they're hopefully settled and he could be a good number one for years to come obviously the other three mainly come in as backup and there's two of the young lads as well so we're obviously hoping to develop them uh, what did you make of the fact that we brought in four goalkeepers on? do you think that's excessive or do you think that's the right number to have a right spot I actually think it's a good idea because you've got we, we often struggle with goalkeepers at a younger level so what they've done is brought in some younger keepers to so hopefully get a bit of a supply chain coming coming through in future years um, and obviously they needed to get two new keepers in because we had none um, so I think I think it's actually a good idea that, that we bring um, four keepers in at once um, I know that won't be a popular opinion but I, I, I actually think it, that, that's the case It was probably the timing of it I think wasn't it the fact that it, at one point, it did just what I keep signing goalkeepers all summer. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can't delay uh, the signing of a keeper because you've not because fans aren't happy that you're signing loads of keepers because the deal was ready when the deal was ready. The signings happen when the signings happen, don't they? I mean, you can't worry too much about what fans are going to say about it. Exactly. At the end of the day, you don't sit down and go, "Well, you know, we need to sign a goalkeeper, but um, we'd like another one." But you've got to sign a, a centre back before you do that, because otherwise it looks like you're signing too many goalkeepers. I mean, exactly. they're, work, they're working on deals. All the time. Deal, yeah, deals come along as, as they come along. Um, 
I think it's, you know, it's hard to say, oh, we're only signing this type of player because you don't know what's going on in the background. You know, you can be discussing things with people for weeks, especially at, you know, this stage where there's a lot of people still out of contract and uh, obviously they're shopping around, they're looking for the best deal for them and you're looking for the best deal for you. So I think that makes it difficult to judge the timing of when anyone comes in at this point. We've seen with Jones, it sounds like Jones will be confirmed probably on the 1st of August when he's leaving the contract expires. But he's, he's been training with the club since the start of pre-season. He's obviously one that the manager wants to bring in. It's just a case of not being able to announce it yet because of um, technicalities with his previous contract. So that's obviously one I've worked on. And although there's been nothing in the press about others, you wonder if there's other players who are perhaps in the same situation where other contracts are stopping them speaking to other clubs at the moment or at least confirming deals. Um, obviously, we had at the start of the summer Mike Garley, the co-chairman, was saying the financial fair play regulations was going to mean we were going to be able to hoover up lots and lots of players on free transfers that other clubs wouldn't be able to touch because they're not as well run financially. Doesn't look like that's quite happened, but at the end of the summer we've brought in players like Jones and Arfield and Heaton and we've only really lost McCann, Grant and Patterson. I think we've probably done okay as well. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where see, he said that um, we'll be looking to pick up players that, that come out of uh, other sides because of their need to comply with fair play. But it's very much a case if you can only sign what's available. So while you know theoretically he's, he's obviously right, um, it depends on whether something you like the look of is out there. I mean, you should never go signing players for the sake of signing players. You don't want someone just to make up the numbers. You do want them to have some sort of role, or you know, even if it is, he sits on the bench every game of the season. He's, he's, if he's got something that you feel he can offer you, that's what you're looking for, rather than just someone to, you know, go. Well, look, we've got this many players in our squad because we signed this guy on the cheap. It's, you know, that's not getting value for money, rather than uh, just, uh, yeah, that's not getting value for money, really. So. Yeah, one of the problems we've had with the squad as a whole, um, with all the managerial changes, is that we can't bring in quite a lot of players. And I think each of the three managers recently, how Coyle and Walsh, have all brought in players who haven't been even in the squad on a regular basis. And that's obviously not, it's wasted to a club like ours with a budget as small as ours that we just can't afford to be I mean, that, that started back in, in Coyle's era when he brought all the young players down from Scotland and never never seemed to integrate them. And uh, apart from Brian Easton uh, and, uh, and Stephen Fletcher, obviously, because but he's not young. Um, and then Laws, Laws did it with people like Leon Court and. I don't know, numerous other people. And then Howes was just a case of his style of play was so different to what Dyche now offers that we would just end up with all these players that uh, are stuck in in limbo. You were saying about limbo, one of those players who's obviously in that position now is Joe Mills, who yeah. is on a permanent contract this summer, but that seems to have been set up last summer. Obviously, when Howe was the manager and Daesh, I think, had one look at him at Cardiff and he was in the stand before he was formally appointed. I think we lost that game 4 0. 
Mills had a bit of a shocker and we've not really seen him since. But I mean, he started the other day on, in the friendly. He started, um, but I don't know what you can gather from whether you start in the friendly or not. I think it's all about fitness in the pre-season programme. But I, I imagine Mills will be allowed to move on if there was someone who wanted to take him. Huh. It's a strange deal, really, that you sign someone on one for a year, but then you're forced to complete the transfer. But it's a funny one. I think he's versatile player, Mills. He can play anywhere up the line. So it's perhaps worth keeping him around the squad. But again, it's it's wastage if he's not going to play. We need to move him on. I quite I quite like Mills, um, but he's not uh, a defensive fullback. And uh, I do wonder whether you can afford to have two attacking fullbacks in your side. Um, well, you'd say that gives you the balance going forwards that you know you've got someone attacking from both both sides. Um, it also means you can get caught with two at the back, uh, which is a little bit risky. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why he's maybe not seen so much football under Dash. Um, but I think if we ever need another option, I think he could play left midfield quite well. And I think that's something that I'm surprised we haven't seen maybe a, a little bit more of in the you know the last 10, 15 minutes of some games, just to see you know how that'd work. Especially if you you've got a winger who's you know running out of legs for the game a little bit, because it just gives someone a run out and in that position you get to have a look at them. It's not really a, a, a big risk in most games, um, but I think he's. I think there's a role there for him. Um, it's largely dependent on whether you play an attacking right back, which obviously Trippier is. Well, we saw we saw Trippier get pegged back after um, after Dice came in because he had a tendency to go forward and that would leave us vulnerable, obviously. Um, but in the first few games when. Um, Dice came in. He, I think they were given a kind of limit to how how far they were meant to run um, up the flanks. We were certainly told to be more aware of defensive responsibilities, weren't we? I mean, Trippier was probably one that we saw it most in because Howard obviously said to him, "Just go and play your game, get up and down the flank." I think one of the games I saw last season away at Palace, Howe's last game actually, we were two up in the first half. But every time we got the ball, we were still pouring forward down both wings. And their first goal came because Trippier had gone forward when he shouldn't have. And there was basically nobody back. Marnie was supposed to be covering at the back of the midfield, but he'd gone forward as well. So there was literally no one back to cope with Zaha's pace. So I think it was necessary to tell Trippier to stay back a little bit more. But I think maybe we need to work on the balance a little bit more. But that's something we can work on for the season, I think. It'll be interesting to see how the balance actually, because uh, Dice keeps talking about this framework and this and this balance. It's interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how much that's changed the the kind of emphasis on defence rather than attack. I think in uh, when we were playing Carlisle, it was, we we started to play a bit more flowing football again, um, and I, I wonder if that'll be our priority or whether the de- defence will will still take hold. I think a, yeah. a big part of that was the immediate need when Dash came in was to stop shipping goals and uh, 
it's probably easier to, to work on one thing at once than, you know, try and build the perfect system. You've got to, if you want to stop goals, you've just got to go, right, this is what we need to do to stop conceding. And uh, I think then you need to, you know, work on that for a while before you can start bringing back in maybe the more attacking aspects because it is hard to be a, a genuine two-way team. Yeah, well, exactly right. I mean, like real football is not like football manager. You don't have sliders <laughs> to tell the players how attacking they need to be at any one point. It's a bit more complicated than that. So that's obviously something we need to work on. But for me, you need to play to your strengths. And when you've got a player like Kieran Trippier, who's so good at crossing from deep positions, and you've got a player like Charlie Austin, who thrives on those crosses, I think you would be daft, really, to sort of cut off that aspect of your play. But I'm, I'm sure we'll see... That works on for the rest of pre-season. Uh, Tranmere tomorrow night, and then Sparta Rotterdam is our last first-team game, I think, and then we'll be off for the Bolton game. Wait. The last Wait. signing that we haven't touched on yet is Ryan Noble, a uh, young striker released by Sunderland, 22 years old. He's not really done much in his own spells when he's been around the whole leagues, but it looks like the sort of signing that you take a punt on a lad, and you never know how it's going to come off. What do you make of Noble, James? Um, he seems to have been around a, a few sides on loan, but he's he's not had a you know a huge amount of football. I think I said the other day it was 17 starts or something like that. Yeah, uh, he scored three goals, and people go, "Well, you've signed a striker who's only scored three goals." But he's only started 17 games between is it three or four loan spells? Uh, that's not a huge amount of time to really steady yourself in a side and get a feel for their system get, get yourself in a position where you can start scoring regularly um, but I think he's very much in as you know the, the third striker the third or fourth striker I don't know where he'd sit in relation to, to Sam Vokes but Sam Vokes obviously was involved in every game last season so he didn't start the majority but he was involved in every game whether that's going to be the role that Ryan Noble takes on or not I'm not sure obviously a lot probably does depend on whether we see Charlie Austin still here come the middle of the season uh, but he seems a player who's you know, maybe was a little bit hard done by at Sunderland though from what I've read from some places it, it seems maybe he didn't help himself there but um, he, 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 he you know he probably deserves a chance he, he looks like he's got some real natural ability uh, and it'll be quite interesting to see whether he can come into a side and you know start scoring regularly if he gets a good chance yeah you touched on his attitude there and that's something we'll come back to in a second but you're right exactly right with the loan spells he's been around quite a lot but tends to be quite short spells you don't really have time to settle in and find your place in the squad you need a run of games as a young player to Especially so as an attacking player, because you've got to get used to the, the, the delivery system. Exactly. If you play one week and then not the next, you've just got no chance. And from what I've been told about Noble, and I know quite a few Sunderland fans, he's quite slight, and he's been told a few times that he needs to bulk up a little bit and develop some strength. Chris Eagles. <laughs> he's quite quick and he can finish. He's got a lot of goals for Sunderland's youth team and reserve team. It's just a case of having a chance somewhere. I think it's, 
it's well worth a, a gamble for a club like us to have someone who's obviously got talent and it's just not worked out for him yet. Yeah, I mean, on, on the attitude issue, um, I think Dyche mentioned he had him at, at Watford for a bit. I don't know if that was official or whatever. Um, but he, he's, he's obviously seen him, he, he's seen enough of his attitude to know that um, he, he's, he's not a real problem or. or and not uh, not a, a hindrance to their their ability to coach him into a good player. Yeah, just to clear up on the attitude, we've had a, a piece on the site that you can read this week from a Sunderland fan who suggested uh, essentially Noble have been told that he needed to work on his strength and get on the weights and stuff to make sure he was a bit more of a handful, and he basically ignored that attitude. And there was a thing as well about his, his dad apparently went on one of their clubs fan message boards who was complaining about managers not picking him uh, I think Noble had a bit of a rough break though because he did apparently score three hat-tricks in four reserve games yeah. someone was changing managers I think that was when Steve Bruce got sacked and Martin O'Neill came in and you'd think if you're scoring all those goals for reserves then you'd get a go in the first team but O'Neill never picked him so he, he never got a chance at something I think it was probably a little bit unlucky that he never got a goal could someone please shoot that seagull? I know, that's me, I'm afraid. I was by the sea. So I can't close the windows, otherwise I'd be. But, uh, work on that. I'll buy a shotgun for the next <laughs> I mean, um, we, we touched on his, uh, his size a little there. Um, but I think we actually had a similar situation a few years ago with Jay Rodriguez. Um, yeah. He wasn't a, a huge guy. Obviously, he's, um, he is, you know, he's, he's tall, but... At one point, he wasn't uh, very strong. Um, he clearly worked on that because by the time he was with us in his last season, you know, he, he's regularly holding his own against much bigger defenders than himself. And I think that is something that you know maybe Ryan Noble needs to to do similar. Um, you'd, you'd expect someone who's a, a professional footballer to not have any qualms with. Sort of listen to the coaching staff, and if they say you know, get on the weights, you, you get on the weights because at the end of the day, it's actually really your job to to do as they, they yeah do as they tell you. Um, so it will be interesting to see if he can bulk out a little, um, strengthen up, because uh, I think that could have a big impact on on whether he's a, a good signing or not. Yeah, I think Rodriguez is a really interesting comparison. Uh, I'll probably drop this fact in as often as I can, but I was actually at school with Jerry Rodriguez. It was the year below me at Barton. Uh, we, need, we need a name drop, Claxon, um, or, or something. That's my, uh, that's my one and only claim to fame, so I'll be using that as often as I can. But, uh, yeah, Rodriguez, he, he was always a small, slight lad. I think he developed one summer, he just sort of shot up. But Rodriguez did have loan spells out and about. He went to Sterling, didn't he, in Scotland? And also to Barnsley, I think. Yeah, played with Andy Gray at front. yeah I, I, think, I think his Barnsley spell was was quite good, but I'm not sure he, either of his spells could really have shown you the kind of player he was going to turn into. I mean, it was, uh, you were right as well about Rodriguez. When he first came into the side, was, he sort of played on the shoulder a bit, didn't he, and ran in behind. The promotion season, he scored two or three in the cup run. I think it was similar sort of three balls they'd run onto. But by the time we sold him, he was totally different. He was comfortable playing with his back to goal, and his link-up play was really good. And 
he could play off the wing or he could even lead the line. He was so versatile, he could play a number of different roles and that all came in the space of a couple of years of just being told that he was going to play and there was always a place for him on the side even if we had to move him around a bit. Yeah, I think there's been a, a little bit of history of that at Birmingham as well. Um, you know, using forwards in perhaps not the you know preferred position, but at the end of the day, they are getting games at a young age. And we sort of Cal Lafferty as well. You know, he played out wide left a lot. Jade played out wide left. Um, well, maybe it's just some sort of embedding technique because that's what happened at Southampton last season with Jay. He started the season playing on on the wings, and then towards the end of the season, I think maybe once or twice, he he was actually played as a proper striker up front. Um, I think in some ways it, it reduces the the pressure on them a little bit, possibly. I mean, because if you're the the, the centre forward, you probably feel that the team needs you to score whereas if you're playing more out left there's less pressure on the actual finishing obviously more on just getting your all round game well well lined out I think a lot of teams as well they play one up front these days don't they so if you're a young lad and if you're not particularly strong it's difficult for a manager to say I've got faith in you you're going to leave the line for me a lot of managers will probably if they're playing one up front they'll go old school and have a big lump up from I mean I wouldn't say that's necessarily the case at Southampton because Ricky Lambert's a very good player but if you're playing one up front you do need someone who you're going to be confident can hold his own against defenders and maybe Rodriguez isn't quite at that level at the top flight but to go back to the comparison with Noble I think he'll probably play from the bench to start with obviously keep saying this but depending on what happens with Austin I think Noble will play from the bench well, will he even get on the bench? Because I've seen Dash just say that he's going into the development squad, so um, I'm not even sure if, if he'll make the bench. Well, it's, it's a funny one. My, one of my Sunderland friends uh, sent me a link to an interview he did with Sky, I think, from just after he was released up here. And he said he had a number of offers on the table and he was going to go with the club who were going to promise him the most football. <laughs> been reported that there were plenty of clubs who wanted to take him. I think Hartlepool, where he's been on loan, were interested in offering him a deal. And you'd think he'd get more games at Hartlepool, but maybe it was the, the Dash connection. He's worked with Dash when he was assistant manager at Watford, so perhaps it was that. Was one. It might also be his ego talking. He wants to play as the, at the highest level possible. No no disrespect to, to Hartlepool, but it's not, it's not the championship, is it? Well, this is it. I mean, I don't think there's many Burnley fans who would expect us to be going for promotion this season, but there is a chance it could be in the Premier League next season. Exactly. I'm sure that's going to be appealing for him to Just to move on to the final thing I wanted to talk about today, um, it was the concept of Moneyball. Um, we had an article on the site over the weekend from Austin Greenwood who suggested maybe we're taking inspiration from the story of the, the Oakland A's, the baseball team from America um, that were, it was then made into a book and then a film starring Brad Pitt, quite a good film. It is a good film, yeah. It's a really good film, I was surprised I was not expecting to like it. Because it's a bit I got a bit confused at the beginning, I was like, oh what is this baseball? <laughs> but yeah, Moneyball essentially, uh, it works different in baseball because there's so many different sorts that you can uh, pick teams based more on stats. But essentially, 
if you've not read the book or seen the film or heard anything about it, Moneyball is basically using a system of numbers to decide which players are most effective at getting the win. Um, obviously, with baseball being one man against one man most of the time, it's not the same as football where you're in a team. But there are still certain statistics that you could perhaps pick a team by using, for instance, I think one of the ones that she's really interested in is the win percentage one, where you look yeah. at which players are in the team that's most often for the wins. And maybe some of the players he's looked at, maybe he thinks they're the sort of players who contribute in that way. I, I don't know. It was an interesting article. Um, I think the profile of some of the players who've gone for us maybe fit into that system a lot. There is a, a, a big theory in football that um, there's a lot more value to uh, replacing your weakest player rather than signing a new star for your team. Um, because apparently it's more often than not the games you lose aren't down to a star not performing or a star not playing well. It's more down to uh, your worst player making the mistakes that your worst player is prone to make. Um, which does mean that sometimes maybe he can be underwhelmed by how a signing appears. But at the end of the day, there's 11 guys in a team and it's more actually a coming together of those 11, those 11 players' attributes that really makes a side, not whether you've got one guy who can score 30 goals a season. Cause it's the old saying, isn't it, that you're only as strong as your weakest link, and I suppose that sort of uh, correlates with that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, a big part of it. And I think... Um, I think you can go deeper into the stats of football, but you need to have a you know, a metric of what each position needs to be good at in your side. So if you've come up with a, a theory of how you want to play, you want to play four at the back, maybe five in midfield and one up front, with two of the midfielders being you know, advanced wingers, you probably look at measures for the wingers of you know how many crosses did they complete. Um, how quick are they? You know what? What's the stats for you know running a hundred yards? Um, and I think you probably take a combination of those to look at you know, this guy. He can, you know, run a hundred yards this quick, and eighty percent of his crosses actually make it to one of his teammates. Then um, you know, then you get your defensive midfielder, and you're probably looking more at his pass completion. You know, his how many how many blocks he, he puts in. Um, and how many give how many times he gives possession away, and again using sort of a combination of those um, facts to judge someone who's going to retain the ball and be able to spread it and produce play from there. Yeah, I think um, I, I personally find all the statistics really interesting. I know it's not for everyone. People say, oh, it's not all about the stats; it's the final score, but. The, it's the fact that all the clubs these days are using all this information. They're gathering all the data they can and feeding it into the computers. And I think the game's only going to access that information even more in the future. I think um, when we look at stats, we tend to look at what we have available, which is obviously a tiny, tiny fraction when we look at things like goals and assists and clean sheets, which can be quite a basic way of looking at things. But even, even from those... My my favourite Burnley player at the moment, Junior Stanislas, his assist stats were much better than Wilfred Zaha's last season. And Zaha's gone to Man United for 15 million. So it just shows how some players 
their value perhaps doesn't quite match up to the stats and others could perhaps be underrated by fans even though their basic numbers look pretty good well, well, there's also an element of hype to players as well uh, that, that means that they get chosen which is the, is the case with Zaha wasn't he there was all sorts of unplayed I think Crystal Palace had a marketing campaign where they had posters up saying how unplayable he was and they really sort of fed that hype about Zaha and that certainly contributed to them getting such a lot of money for him I think you see with uh, stats like assists as well that um, uh, this is a, a growing theory in a number of sports especially American ones where assists are actually counted as points um, is that it's not necessarily the number of assists it's more the quality of assists how many assists do you get from positions where you should be assisted where the team should be scoring um, and I'd, I'd assume that teams have a way of looking at that you know sort of a conversion factor of well this was a clear cut chance you know he should have had an assist there but yeah. The you know the the guy on the end of the ball made a mistake. You know he's fired over from six yards. He's tripped over his his other foot, something like that. Um, because it is sometimes hard just to to look at those simple numbers and actually really get a picture of what a player's done. Because at the end of the day, if you could be the best player in the world, if you're in a poor side, you're not going to get all those assists because you're not going to be able to give that quality service to someone who's got a quality finish especially if your strike is rubbish with the assists as well I think um, an important point is that when we talk about assists it's the final pass which ignores all the hard work for the other players really I mean you could have a situation where for instance Brian Stock plays the ball between two defenders and Danny Ings runs onto it and the goalkeeper comes out and Ings side-foots it to Austin for tapping yeah. and Danny Ings gets the assist. I mean, It was Stock who created the goal but Ings gets the assist. Yeah, the, there are a lot of sports where you do go down to the secondary assists but in some way that, that dilutes the numbers as well because you could say well this guy he's only ever had secondary assists and they were you know, nothing players but sometimes it it is the, the pass before the final pass that um, you, you get the uh, you know the real sort of killer pass for that move. You know it could be someone switched the ball one wing to the other. That's opened up the whole defence. And like you said, you know someone's squared it and you've scored a tap in. It is that ball that if you to look at that move on TV, you go that's the you know the killer ball there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've seen both interviews with um, Mark Howard, the guy that's now in charge of um, sports science at the club, um, and he's, he, he's repeatedly, repeatedly um, spoken about the need for looking at objective data and matching it with subjective. So, so I'm, I'm glad to see that the club aren't over-relying on the data, that they are aware that... Um, there is a need to be subjective in your opinions and subjective in your opinions that doesn't really make sense it's very Um, much about you know smart stats smart metrics stuff that actually can translate into real actions on the pitch rather than just numbers on the page Um, and I think what you find often is the best coaches they all sort of take into account all these stats someone's not presenting them to them saying you know this is this player's stats but they have that sort of your sixth sense to see those stats on the pitch 
um, which is why sometimes you you know you look at Man United sides that have won the league recently, and on paper some of them are poor midfields, and you you think how is that a you know, championship winning midfield? But they still get the job done. So I think there is something in there where there are certain people who can see more than everyone else can just watching the game. Yeah, I mean, it's always going to come down to the manager's feeling, isn't it? I mean, no matter how much information he's got available to him, he's going to pick what he thinks is going to be the team that can win in the game. And he uses, obviously, all the, all the stats and all the data he's got. But often, if he's got a choice between two players and they're quite similar, he's going to go with his gut. So the stats can only take you so far. But I think if you if you ignore them completely, then you're risking giving the other team an advantage. I'd agree with that. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. We've gone on for probably twice as long as we did in the country. Uh, we'll stick the podcast online and you can give us all your feedback. Uh, I think we're all aware that it's been a little bit echoey. It's possibly my fault with the same thing, so we will look at that. Um, give us all your feedback. We want to know what you want us to talk about in future podcasts, what you want to hear more of. Um, we've already got some good ideas, but all the feedback we get would be appreciated um, if you're not connected to us on Facebook and Twitter you can do so we're on Facebook facebook.com slash known and never net and the Twitter <coughs> the Twitter address is at known and never net and you can email us as well on blog at known and never dot net so we'll leave it there for now um, like I said please do get in touch let us know what you think this is very much an experiment and um if, if we don't get any feedback then it'll be difficult for us to do another one so <laughs> let us know what you think and um, we'll hopefully be better soon thanks a lot okay. bye thanks bye bye the TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year as football fans we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.